We are in this wonderful series called This Is Us, taken from a TV show that I had uh, been enjoying for the last two seasons. I know a number of you are fans of the show. Some of you never seen it, and that's fine. I, I trust that you get the premise of what we're here doing. Story of a family raised in the 70s uh, with a mixed situation, mixed racially, adoption, and, and all the struggles that they would have faced in that time, uh, a time that's not as open as it is now, a time where uh, certainly the things that they deal with, now we are learning to talk about the problems that we face. The, the beauty of this whole thing and this family is that they loved each other in spite of the problems they had, and they loved each other through them. Sometimes ongoing, sometimes breaking through into victory and triumph over their struggles. <clears throat> this message that I'm bringing this morning, before I get ahead of myself and into my introduction, let me just go ahead and get the preliminary scripture out of the way. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, reading from the message. Stay seated if you would and just listen as I read. It says, these are all warning markers, danger. And our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. That's why we look at this series, is to recognize there is brokenness in all of us, even in the family of faith, and that God is able to redeem and use us in spite of our issues. And we want to learn from those who've gone before us so that we don't end up doing the same thing over and over and over again. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Read that emboldened sentence with me. Here we go. We are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Say those last three words with me. Cultivate God. Say it like you mean it. Cultivate God confidence. One more scripture. Our message text this morning, just a little snippet from 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33. The, the king was stunned, heartbroken. He went up to the room over the gate and wept. As he wept, he cried out, Oh, my son Absalom, my dear, dear son Absalom, why not me rather than you, my death and not yours? Oh, Absalom, my dear Dear son, today I want to talk to you for a few moments about depression. The title of the message is called When the Darkness Doesn't Lift. I had a wonderful trip and listened to, oh, I don't know how many, probably a dozen different podcasts by several of my favorite preachers, which included Pastor Haley from week two. Beautiful job with Jacob and Leah and Rachel and then Chris Wilson from week three in this series who did a beautiful job giving us a summary of David's life, his triumphs and his tragedies, and the glaring testimony found in 1 Kings 1 which says, never did David ever discipline his sons or rebuke them, saying to them, why are you acting the way you acting, fool? That's a little bit of the Smith paraphrase added. But the question as to just you know look someone in the face, his sons, and to ask them what motivated them to do the nonsense they were doing. He had experienced literally indescribable victory on the battlefield, the victory over the Philistines, the blessing of God over the nation, prosperity. He'd experienced the lows of temptation and giving into it in his adultery with Bathsheba. That sin led to deception and lying and then murdering of of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And the story goes on and on and on. And it's very easy to see the connection between the seeds that David sowed and the dysfunction that was multiplied into his family. He, he knew the heart of God. The Bible describes him in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart. If there was ever anyone's testimony that I would like to be my own, it would be David's. That Michael Smith would be known as a man after God's own heart. But to say that means that I must recognize that David had warts. David had issues. David had problems. This series is not to put us in a place where we go, well, everybody's messed up. I'll just go on and be who I am and not try to change. That's not what it's about. What this series is about is about saying, God, I realize 
that my brokenness is not an issue when you choose to choose me. When you put your love and set your affection on me and if I will move and walk by your will and get my mind off of my struggle and myself, then you can do great things through me for the sake of the kingdom of God. And when I get my mind off myself and onto you, that's when you will begin to transform me in the things that I'm struggling with. That's the beauty, the irony sometimes of how God works. We think we're not qualified and we think correctly. But when we're willing to give who we are to Him, He takes that and changes us and transforms us into something that He can use. Somebody say amen. One thing I want to bring to you this morning, and that is as we talk about the darkness that doesn't lift, that's the title of the book written by John Piper. I bought two books for my Kindle this week on my iPad, the Kindle app, and read through them, one by John Piper, one by one of my favorite Anglican preachers, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who pastored the very famous Westminster Abbey, Westminster Cathedral in London, England. He was a medical doctor before he was called to the ministry, and so he brings to the pulpit and to the preaching of the Word a very interesting perspective that most pastors don't have. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, and a number of the thoughts that I bring to you today from this message, this installment, come from Piper and come from... Uh, Dr. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, and also from Pastor um, Stephen, let me give his name, Pastor Cole, Stephen Cole from Bible.org. And so a number of these things came together for this message this week very quickly because I had decided early in this series that I would either be preaching Jacob's struggle with the angel of the Lord out of Genesis 32, or I would be preaching a summary story of Joseph. I love to preach both of those Bible stories, and as I met with Erin this week and came back, who did a beautiful job, she did a beautiful job taking care of, staying at my house and taking care of, I'm the crazy dog man, I have three now, one of them's not mine, Um, one of them is Abby's because she's been in London, Uh, Ed Sheeran called and asked her to come hang out with him on his tour, and she was in the studio uh, recording with Munford and Sons, and just some great things happening for her, so she was gone for two weeks, and so I kept the dogs for her, and then I was gone myself. I was actually supposed to go to the London trip with her, but I found out my passport had expired. And so I said, I'll go the next round. Uh, she's got some other things coming up later in the summer. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead, because I've planned for this time, I'm going to go ahead and go to uh, do a road trip and see some old friends from Bible school days. And so Aaron did a great job watching the house and taking care of the puppies. And um, Beautiful job. And so we were talking about what I was going to preach this Sunday. And I said, well, I haven't decided yet. I'm between Jacob and Joseph. You know, if what you've picked will go with either one of those, it'll be great. And she did not know that I had been wrestling all week in my prayer. I had been kept hearing the Lord say, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And I knew that was from Psalm 42 and 43. And so when it came time, Heather called and said, Joy's going out of town this weekend. Can you finish message notes early? And I said, yeah, I'll knock them out Wednesday morning. So I got in there in front of my laptop, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, what is it, Joseph or Jacob? And and I heard him say again, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? And I said, wow, I got to go to Psalm 42 and see what that says. I just kept hearing it. I like to look way out in the future and kind of plan where we're heading look at the needs in the congregation, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we plan a series out through the end of the year. It's planned right now. And so as I know what I'm going to be speaking on, I'm reading books, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm, I'm reading articles and magazines and periodicals that I take, and I'll come across something and I'll go, wow, that will fit great in that series coming up in November. And so I'm always kind of mentally filing things and learning and ahead and looking ahead. And this week, it's like the Holy Spirit just said, nope, 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 you're really prepared, but not prepared for what I want to do. And so I said, okay, what do, you, what, what do you want me to do? And this is how this message was born in just about two days this week. I have one thing I want you to grasp. Depression is called the common cold of mental illnesses. Every person will at some time in life battle with being in the cave and getting stuck there. Looking to the Word and seeking the Lord are steps on the way out. Look at the screen and read this with me one more time. Here we go. Depression is called the common cold of mental illness. Every person will at some time in life battle with being in the cave and getting stuck there. Looking to the word and seeking the Lord are steps 
on the way out. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, I need you this morning. I need you in this moment, right now, more than I've ever needed you before. Those words I say from the tip of my toes. Holy Spirit, be in my words today. Bring clarity and understanding. Lord, let them be spoken with wisdom and with compassion. Lord, be in the hearing and the hearts of your people. Let, let spiritual receptors be alive. And Lord, let them grasp each in this room, every one. Let there be a, a custom-made word for each individual life. There are people in this room that are struggling with depression. There are people who've been there and have come out and they rejoice. There are people who don't know it but are headed into it. Maybe next week, maybe next year, maybe years down the road. Let this word, Father, be a seed planted in our hearts to remind us to seek you first. In the midst of the struggles of life that we face, we ask you to be glorified in this. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. There was a psychology instructor who was finishing up on a lecture and she was giving an oral quiz and so she asked the question, she says, how would you diagnose a patient who walks back and forth screaming at the top of his lungs and the next minute is sitting in a chair with his face in his lap weeping uncontrollably? The student in the back raises his hand and he says, a basketball coach? Okay, little joke to open up. Uh, certainly depression is no laughing matter. But I just want to say from the outset that I want to acknowledge that the church hasn't done a good job dealing with the issue of mental illness in any form. Matter of fact, I, I, I'm going to use a phrase, I'm going to use a term, I don't want to offend you, but I'm just going to say it like the culture would say it. We have sucked at it. It's been awful. We have come from a history of centuries of believing that any kind of mental or emotional malady was demonically possessed. And though I want to say to you today that I do believe in spiritual forces of opposition that are against us, diabolical, demonic forces that do actually possess some people and that attempt to oppress all of us, there is a very real thing called spiritual warfare, and we sometimes are under a barrage of an attack where we have to be reminded to lift up above everything the shield of faith, whereby we are able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. Now the translation says the flaming missiles, those lies, the accusations, the thoughts, things that would lure us away from the destiny that God has upon us, things that would accuse us, that would steal, kill, and destroy. When Kate Spade took her life two weeks ago, famous designer, Dawn had a couple of her purses. I remember her telling me that she really liked Kate Spade, and I said, great, I'll get you a purse, until I went to Macy's and saw what I was going to give for it. <laughs> Glory to God. And then Anthony Bourdain, a couple of, literally within a week later, I've watched his show so many times, just this massive living out of this largesse of loving cultures and a sense of openness and just not being afraid to do any, I, I believe that that's a mark of a kingdom person that, you know, you may even be a finicky eater, but my God, at least try it one time. A kingdom person's willing to try anything. You know, they may turn it around, turn it down, and go, nope, that's not for me, but at least you tried it. And so there's something about Anthony Bourdain that I just always love because he was going places and stretching our understanding. And, and I love watching that kind of television, not just mindless amusement. And when he took his life, I just, oh my Lord, help me. And I'm, you know, I'm just battling through my own stuff. And I, I, really, I really don't, I, I try not to make issues or gravitate toward things that are going to make me sad or something that I'm going to have to wrestle with emotions to preach. Um, I, I feel much stronger now that I did the first service. Maybe I got all the emotion out then and I'll be a little stronger for y'all. And I don't always want to make it about me, but at the same time, it's like the Spirit of the Lord kept speaking to me all week long. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? 
And it was something that David said to himself. He addressed himself. He talked to himself saying, Soul, what's up? Why are you in the shape you're in? Why are you so down? Why are you so discouraged? And I kept hearing that in my spirit. And I, and I said, okay, if I'm preaching this is us, then maybe I need to speak to something that probably a portion of our people in this room are, are battling with right now. And depression can move anything from a mild sadness. I went to the, to the doctor recently and for a, a regular checkup and, uh, and basically did the blood work and they were just kind of checking blood pressure and everything. And ever since the last five or so years, my weight came back up. Then I'm, I'm, I'm on, on blood pressure meds. And Dr. Mitchell, I love him, just a great guy, loves Jesus. Uh, every time I've been in his office, he's taken my hand or put it on my shoulder and he's prayed a prayer over me. I, you, just, I, you can't beat that. That's just amazing. And, and he's encouraging me, you know, Mike, if you just drop a few pounds, you could go off these blood pressure meds. I said, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I have plenty of excuses. I've got one for everything you say. And I know I've got to get rid of them. And you know something? I've learned something. I've been reminded of something that's, that's like cooking in me right now. You change one or two reasons. You either change from inspiration or you change from desperation. And a lot of times it's a combination of both. And there are certainly areas that I've changed since I've gone through what I've gone through. And I'm still there in that. And that is just a place of desperation. And usually when I cry out to God out of desperation, He shows up and then I get the inspiration part. You even know what I'm talking about. And I just... Just the statistics of people that take their lives, suicide has increased dramatically in the last decade by 25%. One out of every three people in America are directly touched by suicide. Everybody in our church has been touched by it because of losing Dawn. And there are probably some of you that are sitting here this morning that have been touched by it in your own family or maybe someone down the block or a friend or, or, or a co-worker. Uh, it's something that is just seeming to be on the increase and that's a product of depression or other mental illnesses that come along and put an individual in a place of hopelessness and they feel like there's no way out. Whether it's mild or severe depression affects more people in our culture than any other emotional disorder. Harvard psychiatrist Dr. Armand Nikolai, according to a Newsweek article that was dated back to uh, 1987, so it's 31 years old. It says an estimated 30 to 40 million Americans, twice as many women as men, will experience depressive illness at least once in their lifetime. The disorder is so common that it is called the common cold of mental illness. The church has not done a good job speaking to mental illness issues. And as a pastor who is desperately trying to rid the Delta, at least in our congregation, protect us from churchianity and religious churchiness and Pharisaism. And we, we, we do that regularly just by taking deliberate steps to keep it real. And sometimes it's a, maybe a little bit offensive. And I, don't, and never, I never intend to, but maybe it gets right up to the line or maybe even crosses the line sometimes. You don't want to reveal everything. You don't want to, but I, just, I try to be real to show people that there is not one person in this room that is perfect except Jesus. Somebody put your hands together and say amen. The Bible is not silent about depression. Heroes of our faith struggled. Elijah wanted to take his life and begged God to kill him. Job cursed the day he died and begged God to kill him. Uh, Jonah, you talk about deep crying to deep. From the belly of the whale in a place of helplessness crying out to God. Jesus was under such a level of anxiety that he had a, 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 a medically diagnose, diagnosable condition. This is a real condition that he was under such stress and great duress that the capillaries under his epididymis burst and he sweated drops of blood. That is a possibility for anybody in the room. And it happened to Jesus when he basically cried out to God and he said, if there's any way in your will that you can take this cup that you've put in front of me to drink, if you can take this away from me, is, please take it. But nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And with courage, he got up and did what from the foundation of the world he was called to become. And that was the Lamb of God, which took away the sins of the world. Somebody say amen. In the Hebrew, the section that we're about to read, two psalms, 42 and 43, are actually one single psalm together. 
in the Hebrew manuscripts. Reputable scholars think that David was the author, even though the superscription above the psalm says, from the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were Levitical musicians and singers under David's authority. And these reputable scholars believe that David said, look, this was my struggle. Write a song about it that the children of Israel can sing. I want this recorded. I want it to be uh, among the songs that are produced by uh, the, the king of Israel. And so he instructed them to do that. And as a matter of fact, it says a song of Meshkel. And that literally means of instruction. There is instruction in this psalm that we can look at, these two psalms together, 42 is 11 verses, 43 is 5 verses, and you're going to see as we read it, there is a chorus that repeats three times in these two chapters. You're going to see it show up. David was in a place where he was so oppressed by his enemies that it had plunged him into a place of deep depression, but I want to tell you that he didn't stay depressed. For every step he took down into the darkness of the cave, he turned around and intently and deliberately walked out of the cave into the light of the Lord. And I want to say this morning that there are not three easy steps. Depression is a very highly complex thing. It is multi-layered. There are physiological issues. There are mental and emotional and spiritual issues. And we're just going to barely graze the surface of this today. This would be a year's worth of sermons and it would be textbooks that could be written about this. So I'm not intending in any way to come as an expert. I want to come today to give you some inspiration, possibly in your present or future desperation. Somebody say amen. Number one, recognize depression and confront it. Say it with me. Recognize depression and confront it. Let's quickly read this in the Hebrew, one single psalm. There's 16 verses. Let's grab it. You know this. You'll you'll recognize it. As the deer, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's that old charismatic chorus from the late 1980s. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? Day and night I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, Where is this God of yours? If you think I haven't asked that question in my circumstances, matter of fact, let me make it a little more real than that. My children ask me, my baby girl ask me, Daddy, where was God when my mother... (coughs) took a pallet and went to the backyard and laid it out and straightened the corners and laid down on that and took her life. If you think, though there may not be literal people standing around me screaming like a literal naysayer going, where is your God? They come to us in all forms. They come to us as bad dreams in the night. They come to us as as moments of, why didn't I see that? And carrying guilt and shame and rejection. They come to us as voices that we don't invite, but they show up anyway. They don't ring the doorbell, they come barging through. They're intrusive in every kind of way, and we have to learn how to speak to them and how to deal with them, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. He's got literal enemies around him, David has, that are saying, where is this God of yours? You're in some kind of shape to be thinking that you are any kind of man of destiny or there's anything special about you. David says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Here's the chorus that you're going to see repeat like a cycle three times in this big collective psalm. It says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will. Everybody say, but. So you don't have to stay in the place of discouragement, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon. That's an ancient name for Zion. He says, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of Jordan the Jordan River, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. He's talking about a storm, a perfect storm that's converging on him. I I, I tell you what's ministered to me, and I'm reminded of this as I bring this to you this morning. Years ago, a, a group called Casting Crowns 
wrote a song that said, praise him in the storm. And the, the, the words say, sometimes he comes and and stills the storm, and sometimes he speaks peace to the one who's in the storm. And I want to tell you this morning, if your storm continues to rage, let him speak peace to your heart so you can make it through the storm. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Come on. Verse 8, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. He's feeling physical manifestations of the pit of of despair. When he says, the Lord has delivered me out of the pit, I don't believe David, though he probably had some experiences when he was down in a literal pit. And he says, the Lord has lifted me out of the pit and set my feet upon a rock and he's put a new song in my mouth and many shall hear it and fear the Lord. You don't have to stay in the pit because if you stay in the pit, you'll get pitiful. And if you stay in the pit, you'll get focused on yourself and you'll wallow in your self-pity. My old pastor used to say, self-pity is the devil's babysitter free of charge. And a pity party is the one that you invite everybody to and nobody shows up but you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching already. Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Here it is again. Oh, my soul, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Five more verses, second chapter, and this puts it all together. Declare me innocent, oh God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are my God, you are God and my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? How many of you ever felt like that? You see God blessing and moving in other people's lives and you feel like he's forgotten about you. You don't have to raise your hand. I know everybody in the room probably has at some point felt that. Why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Next, send out, I love this, send out your light and truth, let them guide me. Read that with me. Send out your light and your truth, let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. Two more verses. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all of my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. And finally, the last chorus. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior, And my God, Lord, bless your word as we read it this morning. And all of God's people said, amen. He questions himself. I believe depression is a warning light on the dashboard of your life. You have to stop and go, why am I feeling this way? Why is my heart so sad? Why am I discouraged? King James, why are you you so downcast, oh my soul? The first step to conquering depression is to admit it. Everybody say admit it. The only way you're going to change a circumstance in your life is to break denial. Acknowledge the problem. Call it what it is. If it's sin, call it what it is and repent. Pray, get the forgiveness of God and begin to move out of that pattern. You may struggle. There may be cycles just like you see the psalmist here going back to it again. Sometimes it takes us cycles to get up out of the cave. If you read through this whole section, you will see that he'll have three or four verses of lamenting and then he'll get some hope. He'll have three or four verses of lamenting and he'll get some hope and he'll lament some more and then he'll go, oh, but I will put my hope in God, my shield, my rock, my shelter, my defense. Sometimes it takes an ongoing never quit. I'm still fighting. I'm still standing. I'm not going to quit. I got to keep on going. I got to do, put one foot in front of the other. Even when I don't feel like it, I've got to keep going. I got to keep fighting. Come on, somebody. It takes some time sometimes to get up out of the cave. When you read the Hebrew, the Hebrew verb literally means to be bowed down under the weight, the pressure. It means to be laid low. Literally translated, it would mean in the pits. Now, how many of you ever described your life that way? How you doing, man? I'm just in the pits. It's pitiful, for sure. There are various symptoms that we need to recognize in terms of varying degrees that point to depression. The psalmist's description of himself, he mentions his countenance in 42.11 and 43.5. A depressed person looks sad or down. A loss of appetite. Now, I can lose my keys, I can lose my wallet, but I hadn't been able to manage to lose my appetite. I try to lose it. <laughs> I've got this GPS system right here that works for miles away. And, and 
reconnects me to food somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Lord, help us. Frequent crying. Yeah, been there. Still have to fight, battle it sometimes. I don't have so many bad days anymore. I have wonderful days over and over and over, and then a bad day. I remember people telling me after this happened, and I've heard it all of my life, it's the first that are always the hardest. The first Christmas, the first Thanksgiving, the first birthday, the first Valentine's Day. And I'll be honest, that first year I was just numb. Dawn died in October. We, we just were glazed over, just glassy-eyed. And th- at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, we didn't come to the Christmas Eve service. Just I just didn't think I could do it. didn't think I could hold up. So we stayed home and that first Valentine's Day, there was, it was no different that day than it was any other. I was, I was numb and I was in so much pain, I cried straight for six months. And literally, the, the difficulty for me has been the second time around with all of these, as all of these important dates, June the 1st, our anniversary, June the 27th, Dawn's birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day this year hit me like a ton of bricks because I'd had a wonderful Christmas with the kids I'd started decorating the house in late October. I'd planned all the cooking because I said this year's going to be different than last year was. We're going we're to have a family celebration. No, Dawn's not here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create an environment in my home where we create some good memories and we have some happiness and we laugh and we talk. And the kids both said, Dad, you've done an amazing job at Christmas this last year. Well, they leave. I'm doing great. January rolls around. February hits. February 14th hits me. And I'm... I'm looking up underneath the woodpile. It's bad. And I texted my pastor friends, Chip Bueller and Pastor Ray and elders in the church and another friend here in the congregation, and I said, pray for me, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling today. I mean, it was bad. And they all prayed and they all responded in just some really amazing ways that brought encouragement. And, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for what he did just in terms of bringing people alongside me to encourage me and strengthen me. But you know, even as wonderful as that is, there's, there's still a personal battle that I've got to battle through. It's, it's my battle. It's not somebody else's. It's my battle. And I fully understand that. I embrace that. But dealing with the change, dealing with having always somebody in the house and then now being in a house that is three times the size of what I need and walking around in it and it being so quiet and, and, and wrestling through all of these different issues of guilt. Why didn't I see this coming? I started seeing a therapist in Memphis, a Christian counselor. And the two times I've been, I've left literally just feeling like a weight was lifted off of me. Just, just the tension between, you know, feeling like, thank God I'm not dealing with all this craziness anymore. And then I would feel bad because I would say, but that's my wife and I miss her. And so I was feeling glad that I didn't have to deal with all the, the craziness. And then at the same time, I'm feeling bad because I'm missing her. And then the guilt between the two. It was creating all of this set of confusing, okay, thank God I'm not, but oh my God, I do. I miss her. And then, then guilt. And I'm going, this is not of God. And so sitting down and talking to somebody who understood the mechanics of how that worked helped to bring freedom to me. And I drove home after that time, and I, 45 minutes away from the Bartlett, his office, I drove all the way home, and I crossed the bridge, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm talking to Dawn. I said, baby, you're in a much better place than I am, and I'm so grateful to God that you are enjoying the presence of the Lord in an inexpressible, joyful kind of way, and your thinking is clear, and you're not dealing with all of those paranoid thoughts and the depression anymore. And you know what? It's okay that I can be glad that I'm not dealing with it anymore either. And it lifted off of me. I miss you. I will see you again. And I will wait to see you again. And I will love you the rest of my life. But I'm not going to bear up underneath. the. I'm not going to be bowed down. I'm not going to let my soul be so downcast. Because of something that God didn't intend for me to carry. And just, just sometimes you have to war through that stuff. You have to scratch your way back up out of the cave of all that stuff because those thoughts come banging through your front door and don't just politely say, can I come in for coffee? They come in and assault you. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about? Various symptoms, feeling emotionally drained, being immobilized, don't know how to cope or even where to begin. You know what? I don't have people standing around me, naysayers saying, where's your God? But I've got all the thoughts that attack with that. And my children wrestling down those issues. 
you know, physical symptoms, headaches, digestive disorders, disorders, chronic pain accompanying severe depression. All of this stuff, being down and sad, can make your body physically ache. Being hopeless, being disturbed and anxious, feeling abandoned, even rejected by God. All of these things are described, uh, literally losing sleep, not able to concentrate, no, not motivated to do anything. My mantra has been for the last 20 months, my eyes pop open or to throw my feet over the side of the bed, throw the covers off, throw my feet over the side of the bed and raise my hand and say, Jesus, I choose you today. I choose joy. I choose joy today. Before the whole parade of thoughts starts to hit me and tell me that I'm a failure and, and, and humiliate me because of the, just the wondering where my faith is, all the struggles that the enemy attacks, the flaming, fiery darts of the evil one, knowing what people have said in the community, oh, that's the pastor whose wife killed herself. Wrestling that stuff down. I, I, I went for days and had a wonderful week, and I'm, I'm sitting at the counter yesterday and just eating a little light lunch and working really hard outside in the yard in the afternoon, and I sat down and flipped on the TV, and A Field of Dreams is on. And Dawn had five movies that if they were on anywhere, she somehow had a homing device that, that realized that A League of Their Own and Shawshank Redemption and Field of Dreams, I mean, we knew the lines. We would quote those lines out of movies. We'd sit in restaurants and something would fit and we would say a line and people would go, y'all are nuts, you know. <laughs> and those were Dawn's five favorite movies. And so Field of Dreams came on and the little girl fell off the, the stands and she's choking and young Archie, who's a doctor, walks off the field and Ray is sitting there and his brother is screaming in his face going, you're going to lose the farm, Ray, you're going to lose the farm. And Ray can see it. He has vision to see what his brother can't see. And I'm sitting there and I'm remembering that Dawn loved this movie and I'm at the counter in my own house by myself and tears are flowing down my cheeks and I'm thinking about, in me I saw myself as Ray believing God for my field of dreams out there on Old Bearport Road, renamed Angel's Way now. When people said it'll never happen. People are saying, oh, you can't do it, it's not possible. Friends telling me you'll never build a multi-ethnic congregation in the Delta. And I was saying, yes, I believe God that grace is bigger than race. We're going to conquer this mess. And I'm going to make a mess out of myself this morning. And I'm sitting there thinking, my God, she watched that movie to remind me of the struggle we've had in, in believing God for this field. Are y'all hearing me this morning? And I got up and I just said, God, I got to shake myself and get out of this house and go back outside. And got a, I'm the crazy dog man these days because I've got three. I've got Abby's and that little six-month-old golden doodle along with my 110-pound Bernadoodle and then Copper, who's the 40-pound rescue. He's smarter than the other two combined. <laughs> he's a little mutt, and he's just he's very, very smart. It's a wonder that I don't have mud on me this morning because it rained all night, and then I let them out to do their business, and then what's his name, Cleo, or her name, I don't know why Abby named that dog that. She named her after Cleopatra. And Cleo thinks she's Cleopatra, I'm telling you. <laughs> All over me, jumping and everywhere. And I'm going, i got to preach today. Get out, get out. <laughs> okay, I'm chasing a rabbit. Or maybe it's three dogs. Let me, let me come back here. <laughs> Are y'all getting anything out of this this morning? Do you know, it's crazy how things can trigger. Just something out of the blue. And, you know, you're not even asking for it. You're just, just doodling along, yeah, having a great day, wonderful, having a great time. And then something smacks you in the face and you're like in the pit again. Can anybody relate to that? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so this is where we have to confront it. Why am I, why am I feeling this way? Why is my soul so downcast? Point number two, quickly. Rethink, rethink your circumstances. Learning to respond biblically to trials is one of the most crucial lessons that you can learn as a Christian. Living by faith means choosing to believe God and His Word rather than my circumstances. It doesn't mean I'm denying how I feel, but it means that I fully acknowledge how I feel, but in the middle of it I say, God, I choose to put my hope in You. That's my faith. I'm not going to walk by faith or sight. I'm not going to walk by sight or how I feel, but I'm going to walk by faith in Jesus' name. I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. Number one, when we rethink our circumstances, ask yourself the question, are my circumstances due to any known sin on my part? 
Sometimes things happen to us that we don't choose. But often the circumstances that we're in have been created by our own choices and our own decisions. A bad choice that ruined a relationship, a bad decision that ruined a business. Recognize what it is, and if it's sinful, then own it. Call it what it is, admit it, break denial, and take it before God. And repent of that sin and let the Lord change you. Number two, does God want me to do anything to change my circumstances, or am I shut up until He acts? There are times when nothing can change it. I'm not going to see Dawn again in this life. I will see her in the next one. I will see her in glory, and that is my hope because I believe in the resurrection that Jesus Christ gives to us as the believers because our trust is in Him and my faith is in Him. And I, she's not dead waiting, she's alive in His presence. That's my confidence. That's what the Word of the Lord says. So I know that I'll see her, but there's nothing going to change on this side. So I have to learn how to recognize. And this, this Reinhold Niebuhr prayer, 20th century American, German-American theologian, gave us, if you have any connection to Alcoholics Anonymous, a friend or family or maybe yourself have been a part of it at some time in your life, gave us what's called the serenity prayer. God, give me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can and wisdom to know the difference. And I think that last line is the most important one of all of them. We're asking for three things, serenity, courage, and wisdom. God, give me the serenity to accept the things that I can't change, the courage to change those that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference because too often we attack things hoping to change them and there's no possibility of those things changing. And we spend all of our energy and our time and our effort and our money and we get medicated because things won't change that we're expecting to change. When we ought to have the wisdom of God that says, you know, put your energy in your direction over here in this path, in this way, so that you can experience the fulfillment that God wants for you. Last question here. If I can't change my circumstances, how does God want me to change my attitude? Now there it is right there. If the storm doesn't cease, if the Lord doesn't come into my life and say, peace be still and the wind stop blowing, then look for Him to bring peace to your heart. Look for Him to bring a change in your attitude and how you view the circumstances. I realized this recently just in terms of aloneness, something that I haven't been used to for well over 30 years, 32 years to be exact. Just the time alone, the quietness, and I realized that we have two sides to the same coin. Solitude is the glory of aloneness. Celebrating the time that we can be with ourselves alone and question our thoughts and talk to ourselves and look to the Word and search and let the Lord speak to our hearts. Loneliness is the negative side of that coin when you, out of isolation, are starting to feel separated from God and from others. And so most of the time, now I'm making an adjustment going, God, I thank you for the solitude. Let new creativity flow through me because of what I didn't used to have in terms of time, uh, because of being involved in the things that a relationship requires. Thank you for solitude. But then when I've had so much of it that it starts to feel like loneliness, I go, okay, Father, I'm going to make an adjustment and get up and go and go give of myself to somebody else. Go encourage somebody. Go visit somebody. Go... Go cut somebody's grass. Go do something for somebody else just to bless somebody in some kind of way. Just say, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. And you know, when you start to do that and you get your mind off of yourself, let me preach to me. When I get my mind off of me and I get out of my pit and my pitifulness and my self-pity and I start blessing other people, it's amazing how God shows up and my feelings start to change. Come on, somebody help me a little bit. Finally, last point this morning and I'm finished. Relief is a person. Relief is a person. When we're in emotional pain, we should see it as an opportunity to seek God and to grow in Him, not just try for quick relief. There are things that God doesn't just yank us out of, but change comes as we walk through it. 
I, I, I can't buy a ticket to fly over the valley of the shadow of death. I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because that's where He wants me to learn a side of Him that I've never learned before. I, I, I've quoted Psalm 23 my whole life from the time I was a six-year-old. I could quote Psalm 23. But I assure you in the last 18 months, I've learned a side to His rod and His staff that comfort me like I never had any kind of inclination to know before. I'm fully aware that He, he, he lays a spread before me in the table in the presence of my enemies. And I, and I know that there are times that He has caused my cup to overflow with joy because I've been in His presence and I know it in a way that I never knew it before. I could quote it, but I know it now because I've walked down through the valley of the shadow of death and He's walked those steps with me. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give Him praise. Number one, seek the person of God. Seek God. Don't seek relief, seek God. Because there's not a pill you can take, there's not three steps out of it. There's not, you know, there, there's not some get, get fixed quick situation. It, it, it's going to be walking through it. It's going to be failing and getting up again. It's going to be making a mistake and learning from it. It's going, to be, it's going to be trial and error. God has stamped the creation with this amazing thing called the law of sowing and reaping. And if it doesn't work, if at first you don't succeed, get up and try again and do something different. Just because you lost your job doesn't mean you're destined to sit there and wallow in self-pity of failure because of a career that's all of a sudden taken a pause. You know what you do? You get up and you, you put your resume together and you go out there and you look for a new job and you thank God to open some doors for you. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Relationship has died. Get, get yourself healed from your emotional baggage and then take a step of faith and get out there and meet somebody new. Come on, somebody say Amen. People have asked me questions. Well, are you going to date? I said, well, I hadn't even really had time to even think about that. But I assure you before I do, I want to get completely fully healed of whatever grief and emotional baggage that I'm carrying because I sure don't want to carry this mess into another relationship. Somebody say amen. Now don't read into what I just said and go out of here and put words in my mouth. <laughs> I'm trying my best to finish it, Miss Geraldine. I love you, and I just absolutely, completely X'd myself right out of my message notes. Let me, let me finish this. Here we go. Got it back. All right. Number two, seek, here it is, seek the presence of God. If you are bold enough to say, God, bring your presence into my life, and he shows up, then you're going to need to be willing to confess sin and let go of it. Because when God shows up, you can't stay in a situation where you're willfully doing something you know is wrong. Somebody say amen. Number three, seek the praise of God. When you're depressed, the last thing you feel like doing is praising the Lord. But praise isn't a feeling, praise is a command. David didn't say, I'll bless the Lord when I feel like it. Sometimes his praise is in my mouth. He said, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Number four, Seek the precepts of God. Send out your light and truth and lead me. Open your eyes when you're struggling in a situation and let God show you the lesson that you need to learn. Don't waste your struggle. Man, that'll preach. Look at your neighbor right now and say, don't waste your struggle. God's birthing something in you in that struggle that will prepare you for your next level. It will take you to success. It will bless you in a new relationship. It'll put you in a new job that will prepare you for your future. But don't waste your struggle. Come on, somebody. Number five, seek God with the people of God. Don't try to do it by yourself. I love private worship. I love walking out in the woods and talking to the Lord and raising my hands in my backyard and giving God praise. But there's something far different when I come and I gather with the people of God and I seek God with the people of God. There's fellowship. There's strength. There's encouragement and faith. There's what the Bible calls koinonia. It's partnership. We're in this together. The French call it the esprit de corps. It's the spirit of the troops. And it, it, it strengthens me. It, it puts steel in my backbone. It, it says, yes, I can get up. Yes, I can keep going. Because I've got to keep doing it for these people that love me and that care for me. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor at Westminster Cathedral, and as a medical doctor, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And I have just two paragraphs here I want to read to you, and I'm finished he says, have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life 
is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. It says, who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Now, y'all don't think this is crazy. Just stay with me. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be so disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself. Say to yourself, put your hope in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is, what God is, what God has done what God has pledged himself to do, then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Don't just listen to yourself when yourself is bringing you down, but talk to yourself and rebuke yourself and say, no, I don't care. What do we sing this morning? No matter what I see and no matter what I feel, my hope will always be in your promises to me. When darkness rolls in, I sing that song, let there be light. God, bring light in the middle of all of this darkness and the clouds that surround around me. God, I lift you up in praise and I thank you that you part the clouds. Let the brightness of your glory shine. Let the hope of God and the faith of the Lord arise in my life. I believe that this message today, though it didn't have months of stewing and simmering the way most of mine do, this one came together in just a couple of days this week. I believe this one had the Holy Spirit in it for some very specific people in this room. Because there's some people in here that are struggling right now with depression. Maybe you've come out of it and you're on the other side of it. Praise God. You know what? Maybe you've never struggled. Please don't dismiss this and say, well, that's not for me because you don't know what the day might bring. You don't know what this week might bring or maybe a year from now. All I want to say to you is when you're in that situation, don't let it encroach itself upon you, but stop it and recognize it and confront it and talk to it and say, soul, why are you in the shape you're in? Because God doesn't intend for you to stay that way. When the darkness doesn't lift, it's time to stop and assess the situation and pay attention to the flashing light on the dashboard of our lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this room. Holy Spirit, help us today.